Okay, so today we're talking with um, Karen and Michael about their paper titled AS3MT Mediated Tolerance to Arsenic Evolved by Multiple Independent Horizontal Gene Transfers from Bacteria to Eukaryotes. So I'm excited that, um, that we have them calling in from Europe and to sort of talk about the paper. And why we're excited is we did this, we used this paper for a journal club in our arsenic group recently, and um, it, ha it had great discussions. We'd like to hear some more from the authors just to get their background. So I thought maybe before we begin, would you all like to introduce yourself and where you're located and what you do? Okay, uh, my name is Corinne Brubay. I'm a professor in environmental medicine and genetics at Karolinska Institute in Stockholm, Sweden. I'm Michael Palmgren. I'm a professor at the University of Copenhagen, and I'm a plant physiologist, but interested in the evolution of proteins, studying them by phylogenetic research. Right. Okay, and so then I'm just going to start with some basic questions before we dive in deeper. How did this... Um, I know you've all done similar work in the past, but how did you all get started sort of thinking about this gene and the horizontal um, gene transfer? Like, where did you, um, how did, where did the idea for this study come from? Or how did you sort of start thinking about it? So I've been working with the, the genetics for arsenic in humans for quite some time. And uh, we and others have identified that AS3MT is the main arsenic metabolizing in terms of methylating enzyme in humans. But we also know that it's, it's present in other organisms. This is not unique for humans. And um, what I have shown earlier is that that the genetic variation of this gene actually influences also how well you can metabolize arsenic. So there are some polymorphism of the gene that can predict if you have an efficient metabolism of arsenic, meaning that you dimethylate arsenic uh, or less efficient um, metabolism, meaning that you have more of the monomethylated form. And in humans, you excrete it in urine. So that's the phenotype we measure, how much do you have in urine of DMA or MMA, demethylated and monomethylated arsenic. Okay, so we have studied this in different populations, human populations, and we've seen that people, they differ. And um, we actually found that in a population in, in the Andes Mountains in, in South America, we could see that they were very efficient metabolizers and we could link it to, to this gene and probably they've been um, under selection pressure for arsenic for a long period of time. So uh, this gene is important for the metabolism and has been in also probably in evolutionary time. So just to make the story short, I wanted to write a review paper about uh, the genetics for AS3MT, but not only looking in humans, but also from an evolutionary perspective, looking in, um, into other um, species and where does it come from. We know that bacteria have something similar. We also, we also know that some different types of organisms have it. But so we started, uh, Michael and I, we started to collaborate to look at the evolution of AS3MT. And we gathered a lot of sequences for that. And then 
turned out to be much more complicated than we thought. Yeah, so, sure. yeah, so I came in from the sideline. I have not worked with arsenic before, but I've done evolutionary studies and P-type pumps, and they all, all these phylogenetic trees look beautiful mm -hmm. and very nice. So I thought it would be a very easy task to do the same for these tree and see when I came in. But the tree was really messy, so it was really complicated. And yeah, you can you you have seen it yourself. It was a nightmare to understand. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no. Okay. So no, that's interesting. So when you when you first like, did you think? So you said the tree was messy. We'll look at it in a minute. Like when you first did, did you think like, were you first okay? Am I making a mistake in my methods, or is this what it's really like? Were you? You know what I mean? Like were you? When did you start thinking about? Were you more worried about something, you know what I'm saying, like wrong with your bioinformatics? Or as soon as you saw the tree, did you know something was different? If we became uncertain whether these sequences were really arsenic methyl transferases. But then when we looked closely at them, with the guidance of Karen, uh, we could see that they had all the signature motives of arsenic methyl transferases. And we just had to accept the idea that apparently human Animal AS3MCs were more related to bacterial AS3MCs than, for example, fungal AS3MCs. So that's completely against normal what you would think. Yeah? But it was also difficult to convince um, uh, people, other people doing evolutionary studies, that such horizontal gene transfer had occurred. So we have been I mean, we had to work against a lot of skepticism. Yeah? So uh, that's why we had to do a very careful analysis of the phylogeny to be convinced that it was like, seems to be the case here, that we have horizontal gene transfer occurring. Yeah. No, no, I could see that, right? Yeah, I, I could see no, that sort of makes sense with the skepticism. But when you look at your, you know, like, I guess it's your figure two is your main tree. Right, and I think what you all did nicely is you colored the different type of organisms, right? That's what you sort of, I think that's the way you tried to make it jump out for the reader. So, right, so you can sort of see all the colors are sort of like mushed in different regions. If that's like, you know what I mean? Like, I guess that's not a great scientific way to explain it. No, that was Michael's idea. <laughs> I, I... Yeah. <laughs> but, but, uh... And we actually worked with a, with another the tree that is in the supplement from the beginning, which is from another program. Uh, but uh, we we did this over and over again. We started we started with one one program, and Michael did it with other other methods and uh, using other softwares, and and we got the same tree over and over again, independent of which type of of phylogenetic method used. So I think we are rather confident with the pattern that we see and now. And also we 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 selected all the sequences again carefully. <laughs> <laughs> so no, no, yeah, yeah, no, it makes sense. Yeah, I've, yeah. I was gonna say, because I'm not a, a true bioinformatics person, but every once in a while I have to do a little bit. And you're right, you, it's easy to get nervous that you've made a mistake somewhere in all these steps. So yet you sometimes right, you go back to the beginning and you say, let's make sure all of our sequence, like everything's correct and we'll double check all the tree making. Mm -hmm. 
And one thing, I mean, if you do a normal phylogeny of a pro typical protein, but you, I mean, within supergroups, you, you can always find relationships that you would predict. Uh, yeah. uh, but 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 then between uh, bigger supergroups, it's it's it, it's often more floating. But but animals and fungi always tend to group together. Yeah. Oh, so this is uh, accepted uh, that fungi are the closest relatives to to animals or metazoa. Uh, and in this tree, fungi and animals could not be further apart. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 it's totally true. And yeah, that's what I'm saying. And, and, bacteria in between, yeah? <laughs> yeah, and then it really jumps out at you how you have it all, right? How you have it colored nicely. So you, you see that separation. Okay. Oh, so that's interesting. So that was sort of like, I see. So that's sort of, that was a part, that's sort of how it got you thinking and down this but then you i guess that before we go deep further deep into it, it was funny I'm gonna, go, I'm gonna jump back to figure one when we first started the paper and we're discussing we're like oh we didn't quite see the point of figure one but then as we came back to the discussion near the end i think figure one looking at the different animals makes becomes important right because sort of linking um this um the methylation across different species and how different species behave very differently. Yeah. What I can say, I mean, coming back to the evolutionary analysis that I've done before in humans, uh, where we've seen within the species, in humans, we've seen selection for tolerating arsenic. Yes. Um, and now this paper shows that now we also have a selection between species to tolerate, with the help of other species, to tolerate arsenic. So um, arsenic is very fascinating because it has been around in the environment um, at extreme levels in some areas for a long period of time. And that's not so common when we talk about toxicants because many of the, the very toxic compounds, they are either new from an industrialized point of view or or they have vanished. But here we have a toxic compound uh, that affects everything from bacteria to humans. And we have different ways of handling it. And through handling it through methylation is one way, which seems to be quite important to survive as we have this horizontal gene transfer. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, no, that's okay. And then, okay, so I'm going to keep, and then moving ahead, so then, so I guess then what you did when you jumped to your figure three, you then compared the, um, the methyltransferase to two other genes, right, the calcium and the copper. Yeah. Um, Why did you choose those two in particular? Uh, this is just my background, and I'm, I'm studying this, this group of proteins called P-type forms. They have different specificity, so there's a calcium pump circuit, for example, and a heavy metal pumps, the CCP7A. So I made control in this exactly the same organisms. I took out the, the pumps from from these from these those genomes and and made phylogenetic trees because it could be, I mean, 
one worry was that these organisms, I mean, many of these organisms we tested here, the genomes we tested here, we did, were very special, very strange organisms, very strange uh, biology and ecology. So maybe it was maybe it was simple that these extremophiles uh, had a very different uh, protein structure organization. Yeah? In general. In general, yeah. So we took out, for example, calcium ATPase that is important for regulating intracellular calcium. And got a completely normal free. You, you see animals and fungi are close, uh, close each other's closest relatives, and the same for the heavy metal pumps. So, there was nothing particular with the organisms that we have chosen that would predict that they should make a strange tree for A3 and C. Yeah. No, I agree because, like, when you look at the calcium, you know, the calcium pump tree. Right, that just looks like your typical tree of life, right? Which is what, yeah. which is really what you were trying to show with the right the bacteria to the arch, right to the archaea, yeah. right? To yeah, archaea the, not present in yeah. the calcium pumps. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, I see that. Okay, so going from the bacteria to the SAR to the algae, uh -huh. right? It just makes that nice, right? It, the colors group nicely as you would expect. Yeah. So, so this is. Absolutely boring, boring, <laughs> normal tree. But nice, yeah. Yeah, but I guess that was your point. You're trying to make, you're trying to prove, right? That that was one is born. The heavy metal pump is a little messy with the archaea, uh, but that could maybe be explained. That in fact, there you have had. At least in some cases, maybe horizontal gene transfer from bacteria. That could be the reason why archaea sequences occur within the. Yeah, but then the, the fungi. The... But that has been shown before many times yeah? Yeah. that you have transfer from archaea to uh, to and from prokaryotes, eukaryotes, you bacteria. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. So that's just a common occurrence which you see. Then your fungi and your animals. <laughs> Then group back together also. They are together, yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. Like you're right. They couldn't look right. They they look they look shockingly different. All those. I think I think it proves the it shows your point nicely. I mean, if the calcium pump, a heavy metal pump, also had looked messy, then we would have said that these organisms. <laughs> <laughs> but they here they behave normally when you take some other protein. Okay. Oh, nice. Okay. Then moving on to your figure four, we were, we were not evolutionary biologists. We were just trying to, when we started to think about the time, like, you know, we were thinking about, you said there's these five different horizontal gene transfers you probably think occurred. Yeah. Right? And then, um, like, we're not, when, like, do we have to think about when these occurred? Does that make, does that question make sense? Yeah, that would be... Nice to know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what, what, what we try to say with this, what we try to say with this figure is that it, it must. It, it's not just a single event. Yeah. It must have been several events. Whether it's five, we don't know. It could be maybe be more. But at least it must. If you look from the phylogenetic tree in figure, for example, in figure 
free we were we were before. Yeah. They pop up everywhere and long bacteria, you bacteria. So if it if like like if it happens if it happens before the split between meters or or animals and fungi, then we would have expected them to group together, yeah. But yeah. But on the contrary, the the animal major animal clay, the closest relative is bacteria. So it must have happened after the split from fungi. On the other hand, fungi also have these yeast, and they're also very close to new bacterial sequences. But that's in different positions of the tree. Yeah. And yeah. So there must have at least have been two events: one where it went into animals, and one where it went into Fungi. But then there are several fungal clades very different from each other. And in the same you can see with all the plants, star, and so Yeah, but you have to with They also, yeah. You carry out. So uh, animals are also two places. What I think is that it, it, it may have happened locally. Uh, in some areas of the globe, it could have happened in, in Asia, it could have happened in South America, it could have happened in Central Europe, or in some hot, hot springs in, in, in US. So, independent, but and with different organisms, and in some kind of an evolutionary soup. But the data there is now, well, the number of sequence genomes of species that are within arsenic rich environments. They are too few yet. I think we need to have a bit um, more genomes from, from species in, in peculiar environments. Then we could tell a bit when it has happened and if it, how recent it actually has been uh, for some uh, local environments. But we cannot, based on this, on our analysis. Well, yeah, because yeah, I guess that's what we were even like. We spent a little time discussing, trying to think about that. Like with humans, right? You could like you think about it, right? If you're in a an environment, like, why would humans be exposed? I guess maybe you're drinking spring water with arsenic, right? That would be a yeah, right. That would be an easy path, right? But then you think about some losing it in in some of the chimps and stuff. I guess. You know, we were thinking about that. Maybe that does make sense also because if they, a lot of times they don't drink spring water. They're drinking, you know, water from trees, rainwater, that stuff. So maybe right, their exposure may be much more limited. Yeah, but you also have to, that's why I'm saying is it local, this local exposure. In some areas of the world, you have a very high a uh, level of arsenic, extreme levels. I, it doesn't have to be any hot uh, springs or so, but just the drinking water uh, or a river or a small lake or a pond where there is no other water. There are no trees, yep. for example, in, in, in desert areas. And, and I think there you could have a very strong selection pressure to survive. Then we also, in some, some people argue that um, 
uh, from there was a period in time when there was very much arsenic in the atmosphere before the oxygen took over. And during that time, it it probably had been a very high um, selection pressure. What is called now? Yeah. yeah. No, that makes sense. That, 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 that makes a that makes a lot of sense. So then, if you had to, let's, so I'll ask you this speculative question: If you had to think of animals to look in to understand, where would you go? Because we were thinking maybe you look like at South American animals for sequel. You know, what I mean, we were, you know, we were get coming down to discussion like where would you look next type question. Um. Yeah. I've actually done a little research on looking at South American uh, animals because we have studied some humans in South America. And um, what what we find, for example, when I look into the genome databases is that um, llamas, which are then living in high arsenic exposed areas, they don't carry this gene. They don't have it, which is very strange. But I also think that's because they come actually from, they come from Northern America in earlier as they have a cameloid origin. And so maybe if there had been a selection that would have had uh, happened earlier before they came to South America. Oh, interesting. Uh, so, yeah, we, so, yeah, I would have guessed llamas. I'm with you. I would have, I would have guessed the llamas also as a first choice. Yeah. But no, they don't have. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's really interesting. But I think one one should look into worms. So I mean, that are in the soil. The soil can be very high in in arsenic, and worms living there or different types of of insects and so they they may be much more interesting. But here we didn't have find any SRMT in the insects actually, but the worms a few worms have. Yeah, no, exactly. We were thinking, it's fine, we got we, we went on that same discussion with why some plants and worms don't see it. And we were thinking maybe because, you know, the, a lot of the soils where they live stay pretty oxic. So maybe the arsenic stays, you know, fairly well tied up, you know, compared to like a rice paddy and other reducing environments. So maybe even if it's high in the soil, they're not as exposed as, right, as you think they would, or right, something like that. That's like, right, that was sort of the best... Idea. That's probably um, good. Uh, it's a good suggestion. But some worms are have to eat a lot of soil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, but there can be there can be other making so so. I mean, one thing that is peculiar is that plant higher plants don't have a three MT and they grow in the soil. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they are really exposed to the soil. Yeah. I can say as a plant physiologist. But but there was a re- recent paper uh, coming out here just some weeks ago in chemosphere, uh, <clears throat> where I, I, it's Chinese authors, so I cannot pronounce the name but by by heart. Chen Chen et al. Mm-hmm. 2018, and they found that one of the genes in, uh, that was present in our tree, one of the fungal genes from Rhizophagus irregularis. That is a, a fungus that is making a bu- buscular mycorrhiza of the plant. 
and they can they could they can they have shown they were shown here that they produce volatile arsenic arsenic it's three 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 methylated so so it so it becomes volatile and evaporates so it's tightly associated risophagosy irregularis with the roots of of plants so and and helps in providing it with phosphate but apparently it also not only provides it with phosphate but also purifies the phosphate by removing contaminating arsenide from it to make make it volatile so it gets up and that means that plant and most plants live in mycorrhizal uh, in symbiosis with fungi so this would suggest that maybe fungi one reason why fungi, some fungi have S3MC is to purify, uh, remove arsenic from from phosphate because it resembles phosphate in many ways before delivering phosphate to the plant. Yeah? So plants don't need it, maybe. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating, right? Because that would be, um, I mean, that's a that's a fascinating way to do it, right? Because you always assume that's that the arsenic phosphate that sort of come together. So these fungi have a way, right? They're efficient at splitting it out, splitting it apart. That's a that's a cool yeah. method. At, at least arsenic resembles phosphate in many ways and is taken up by the same systems in plants that take up phosphate. So if arsenide is present, it will come in through phosphate transporters. Yeah. But not if the fungus has cleaned the yeah. soil. Yeah, so, and, and, and that sequence from Rhizophagus irregularis was present in O3. Yeah? So it was it's one of them. So we were happy to see that. Yeah. But well, you can you can speculate then if you have something similar going on for the insects as well. But they have some something else helping them to handle arsenic, which we don't know of yet. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. That's no, that's really interesting. So I guess okay. This this has been this has been fantastic. And we're as we start to wind down, I just have a couple broad questions. Looking back on the paper, like, I was curious, how did your reviews go? Like, you know, how's the review process and would you do anything differently? You mean the review process? Yeah, or... how did the review process, you know, I'm just always curious, like, as a, as grad students listen to this, you know, I mean, it's always interesting to hear how the review process went, where, where, you, where the reviewers nice, pain and uh, painful, helpful, that type of thing. Yeah. I would say painful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the painful, I would say. Yeah. It was not an easy task to publish. Yeah. Well, I could see that with his paper because his paper is sort of, it falls between disciplines, right? So yeah. it was probably hard to find a good reviewer who knew, you know what I mean, who hit the right topics, right? It's, a, it, it's interesting that way. Well, to summarize a very uh, a long, long, a long time period <laughs> is that first of all we had a competing group that we knew about, so we were under time pressure, oh, wow. and that um, and at the same time uh, we were actually, as you say, falling between chairs. So, so we submitted to one journal, and they never found any relevant editor because they couldn't decide what it was about. So then we we lost several months and had to withdraw it 
because they, they couldn't proceed with the review process. But then we had to start over again. And um, yeah, and then quite a bit of criticism of, of, wow. of if we really had interpreted this correctly or not. Yeah, but it was, then it was not said to us in it, not in it. Experts, but no, to bioinformaticians, and they, uh, so that's why we can say we can say now at least that the uh, bioinformatic analysis is very strong because now we have followed all the <laughs> all the concerns. We have addressed all concerns of bioinformaticians, yeah, but they were quite many in the beginning. Yeah. Oh, no. oh wow! Okay, that's um, look, that, that's that's good to know. Cause I think it's always I think sometimes, especially with students, like. They, they they always think review is going to be this easy, straightforward process. So I think it's sometimes nice to know that other people, you know, have these issues too. Like it's, I would say that every paper is a standard. At this point, was really a change. Yeah. Yeah. And then, okay, then one point. Is there anything you, like looking back at the paper now, is there anything you do differently? <laughs> That's difficult. Uh, you mean in the in the submission procedure oh. or in the in the research or? I don't I don't know. I guess maybe more research or thinking or is there something now that you're like, oh, I wish we added that. No, I, mean? I, I don't think we could have done it much different. But I mean, what I think what we have, and this is more something for the future. What we have realized that this that that. I mean, one reason why the major reason why arsenic is so toxic is that it resembles phosphate so much. So it, yeah. it goes into all processes in the body where phosphate is used, and then makes a mess out of it. But but the re, but but the fact that it resembles phosphate so much maybe also explains why it is, has been so difficult for life to to make something against it because if you if you find an extrusion mechanism for phosphate for arsenic maybe you will also extrude phosphate yeah which is essential yeah so 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 maybe the ability of of some you bacteria to i mean maybe this mechanism of detoxifying arsenide by by methylating it uh, Happens only once, yeah. and this 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 extreme specificity of this enzyme. Maybe it doesn't. I mean, they maybe it was a lucky strike by evolution, and then other organisms that wanted to be protected by arsenic when when they came into arsenic arsenide rich environments, they needed to be depend on this enzyme. Invented by bacteria to survive. Yeah? This is something you can think about because apparently it it only occurred once during evolution, and animals didn't make it by themselves. Yeah? Came from bacteria. The same with fungi. It, it's not it's not that it went by normal evolution because probably it was lost in those in the early, maybe it was not present in the very first eukaryotes, yeah? but then later on became important for those organisms that happened to come into arsenide 
rich environments. And then it was too late because they had lost the genes. They needed to. And they couldn't acquire it again by normally, by developing it independently. Oh, no, I, I think that's invention. A, that, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a that's a beautiful summary. So maybe why don't should we end? I was gonna maybe why don't we end our discussion there? Does that sound good? Yes. Yeah. See if any yeah, final comments. No. No. Thank you very much yeah. for thank your interest. Yeah. Yeah. No. Thank you. This is this has been beautiful. It's been great just talking and learning more and hearing about everything. Yes, yes, thank Good you. Luck with the job. What are you going to discuss next in the arsenic group? Um, we haven't chosen our next paper. I'm not um I'm not sure. We're trying to do, you know, sort of since we, we link both health and earth science side, we haven't we haven't decided yet. There's a from the earth science yeah. side, there's a couple of nice papers looking at arsenic coming out of clays. And so I'm mm -hmm. from the from the geologist, I'm sort of interested in discussing those, but I don't know if the health science group will be as excited, but it's it's interesting to think about some of the sources in the subsurface. It's a fascinating element. You can work a long time with arsenic. <laughs> I know, <laughs> I know. It's, keep, it's keeping us going for a whole career, which is very nice. Good luck with your research. Yeah. Oh, great, great. And thank you, thank you. And I look forward to hopefully we'll meet up sometime in the future. Okay. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye-bye. Thank you.